You may be. Uh, beautiful time of worship. A couple of quick family notes here. Um, next Saturday, we're going to do another work day. Um, front section of the Grace Impact Center is pretty much, uh, the floors are down, pretty much finished. Uh, we are moving full speed ahead on the back section. So next Saturday, we want to get in there in the back section and clear everything out of that one big room that's going to be a multi-purpose kind of soccer field because um, we want to be finished with that room by sometime in October. Our goal will be end of September, we'll say end of October, to make sure we get it done. So if you want to help out next week, come on, keep us, keep us on, uh, on the right path there. We'll clean it out, we'll uh, fix it up, and we'll be ready to really get the construction work going. And that encourages, I want to encourage you to continue your, uh, your giving. If, you, uh, if you've been gone for the summer and you're back, catch up, all right? Um, <laughs> That'll help us out. But everything's going really well. This has probably been financially the best summer we ever had. Um, I can't thank you enough for your heart and your giving. Um, we, we've overcome a lot of hurdles and uh, held on to our buffer in the process while we finish off a building and pay all of our regular expenses. Um, but uh, just want to encourage you to continue because we really want to finish off that entire building in a short order and start doing incredible ministry from that building. Um, in your bulletin, you'll see very quickly, there's a little thing here about a Broadway showstopper. And you're like, why on earth is that in our bulletin? That's one of our new impact groups, about 60 to 80 students involved in that. They're some of the top students from around uh, our area in different schools who are into drama. And they'll be putting on this performance. Just want to encourage you to be a part of that, to support them. They've been practicing in the facility for the last few months. Very exciting for us to have them there and then be a part of our impact ministry. And then also, uh, last but not least, for sure, I'm a grandfather again. Yes, yes. And I, and I have a granddaughter, Lorelei Willow. Is that not an awesome name? I like that. So Ollie is uh, my grandson that Jen had, so we'll call him Ollie and Lolly, and it'll be really... <laughs> It'll be great. So, yeah, I, I, not, I, hey, boys, girls, it's all the same. As long as they're healthy, I'm good. But I'm telling you, I'm excited to have a granddaughter. So uh, I can't hide it, all right? Because yeah, you can spoil, I don't know, you spoil the grandsons too. But um, I raised two daughters, and it's nice to have a granddaughter who I can definitely spoil and send home. So uh, thanks for sharing that with me. All right, we're still on our series, Wise Up. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9, it says, Who can say... I have kept my heart pure. I am clean and without sin. Police stopped a teenage girl in Idaho when neighbors were, were complaining that someone was driving around the neighborhood over and over and over again, consistently backward. And when the police showed up and they talked to the young lady, she said that my parents let me borrow the car for the weekend. And I put way too much mileage on it. And she said, I was just trying to unwind some of it. I think a lot of us thought we could actually do that when we first started driving. But do you ever want to unwind part of your life? Rewind it? You know, it's kind of a do-over. I was talking to someone else, and she was telling me that God had given up on her. And I said, why do you feel like God's given up on you? And she said, well, I grew up in a Christian home. But then I went off to college, and I rebelled against everything my parents and the Bible taught me. She felt like she let herself down. She was saying, you know, I, I let myself down. I let God down. I, I let my, my parents down. 
And she felt like, you know, she, she described to me the trouble that this type of lifestyle had cost her. And you could see the sorrow and the regret and the pain in her eyes. She said she knew better, and I think she said that's what bothered me the most. I knew it was wrong, and I did it anyway. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I still did it anyway. You know, she once, she said, I once thought of myself as a Christian, but not anymore. Because how could God possibly use someone like me? She felt like she was beyond hope. I've talked to younger women and younger men and older men and older women saying the exact same thing. And maybe you can relate or identify with this young lady. Maybe you've done some things in your life that you're ashamed of some things in your life that you really regret. In fact, a lot of people, I believe, a whole lot of people, I don't believe I know, have secrets that they they don't want anyone else to find out about. They're hoping no one else ever finds out, so they try to keep them hidden. You You try not to think about it, but the reality is you're living in fear that someday, some somehow, in some way, someone is going to find you out. You used to live in freedom. You used to have a life where you lived in freedom, but no longer. Now you live in fear. For many, what causes them to walk away from the faith, a lot of people walk away from faith and you say, well, why did that person, they used to be so strong. A lot of times people walk away from the faith is that they, I I believe the reason they do is because they think that God in their their minds, they know better theologically. They know better when they, if you were to ask, if, if someone were to come to you and say, here's what I did and you think God can forgive me, everyone in the room would say, yeah, God can forgive you, but he can't forgive you, right? It's like a lot of people feel like God cannot tolerate or accept them anymore because of what they've done. We, we so personalize it. If it's somebody else, God can forgive them no matter what. But if it's you, God can never forgive you for what you've done. They make a big mistake and they think that they can no longer be used by God. God can no longer use them. It's a story I read I absolutely love. It's Thomas Edison. I'll read it to you. Thomas Edison was working on a crazy contraption called a light bulb. And it took a whole team of men 24 straight hours to put one together. That's where they get an idea how many people are screwing the light bulb. That's probably where I get it from. 24, 24 hours, a whole team of men to put it together. The story goes that when Edison was finished with one light bulb, he gave it to a young boy helper who nervously carried it up the stairs. Step by step, he cautiously watched his hands, obviously frightened of dropping such a precious piece of work. You can probably guess what happened then. The poor guy dropped the light bulb at the top of the stairs. It took an entire team of men 24 hours to make another light bulb. Finally tired and ready for a break, Edison was ready to have the light bulb carried up the stairs again. He gave it to the same young boy who dropped the first one. I don't, I don't know about you, but I've dropped a lot of light bulbs in my life. How about you? You know? I, there's a lot of things that, you know, you go back in your own life from, from birth till 49, and there's a lot of times where I, I drop the light bulb. But our God is a God of forgiveness. He's in the forgiveness business. God is in the second and third and fourth and hundredth chance business. That's the great thing about being a believer in Jesus Christ. I read you Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. You know, we, we, all fall, we all fall short, but then but we have a God who gives us what we long for, a God who gives us that, that forgiveness. See, Psalm 24 tells us that 
that when we're forgiven, we receive clean hands and a pure heart. As believers in Christ, when we're forgiven, when Christ forgives us, when God forgives us and we ask for that forgiveness, we receive clean hands and a pure heart over and over and over again. We are purified by the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on a cross for us. We're purified by that. See, I, I also think that we, we feel that other believers uh, won't accept us. Other, other Christians won't accept us if we have a past. You know, if, if, and, I, and it doesn't matter if it's a recent past or past past. We think, you know, they're not going to accept me. They're, they're not going to accept me if I have a past, a, a history of failure, a history of struggles. And so a lot of times Christians keep it all inside. Because they think uh, people aren't going to, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to understand what I've been through. You see, I don't agree. I really don't with that thought process. I think most of us, most Christians, almost all Christians just want to do life together. They just want to do life together. They're not interested in, 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 in keeping up with your past and what you've done and holding it against you. They just want to do life together. I heard someone say, and I love this. Our friends are those who know their own faults well enough to forgive us ours. And that's what I believe. Our friends are those who know their own faults well enough to give, forgive us ours. We all know if we stare in a mirror long enough or if God showed the tape of our lives that you wouldn't want anybody else standing around to see it. And I think people of good heart and spirit, people of honesty and integrity, who have good, who understand motives and judge their own, look at their own lives, are people who want to come around and encourage. You know, I, I think we, we, um, we'd be surprised if we, if we knew how many people around us are in the same boat that we're in. You know, we sit in church and that person, you think, oh, all those people around me, they've got it all together. Uh, my family, I don't, we're the only ones who scream at each other loud enough for the neighbors to hear it. We're the only one where my kid, blah, blah, blah. I'm the only one who ever does this. My wife and I are the only ones who ever do that. I'm the only one I ever thought about. And we, we look around and say, everybody else just, you know, they've got it all together. It's not the case. It's not the case. We all fall short. There's issues where we all need to work. I, I love this story as a, a, a coach a football coach was faced with the possibility of losing his, his star player could be because he was going to be declared academically, academically ineligible. So, so he pleaded with the math professor not to flunk this kid. And the math professor said to the coach, you know, ask him, I'll, tell him to come in and I'm going to ask him one question in your presence. I'll ask him one question in your presence. If he gets it right, I won't flunk him. I'll, I'll pass him. So the athlete was called and the professor asked, what's two and two? Four, replied the athlete. And the coach started screaming, give him another chance, give him another chance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we think the people around us have it all together. They're a little smarter, they're a little wiser, they're a little this, they're a little more speared, whatever the case may be. But the reality is, man, we're all in the same boat. We all make mistakes. We all struggle in areas of our lives. We all have besetting sins. And just because you're more quiet, just because you're more laid back, you're more reserved, doesn't mean you're less of a sinner than the person's outgoing and has it all out there. Because the reality is, sometimes yours are even more difficult. Maybe, you, maybe you're a little uh, deceitful, or maybe you're, you lie, or maybe whatever your besetting sin is. We all have them. We all have them. We live in an imperfect world, surrounded by imperfect people, but we have a Savior, 
A Savior who stood in our place. A Savior who took our place, who carried our imperfections and gave us freedom, real freedom. As believers in Jesus Christ, that's what we have. Whatever Satan's telling you in your mind, he's lying to you. The Bible is true. We have a God who's a God of forgiveness, a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh chances. We have a God who wants to forgive us because he loves us. I'm going to read you a passage, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. It doesn't end there. But if anyone does sin, reality, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. What a great verse. There's nothing I I can do that God can't forgive me for. Nothing. There's nothing I have hidden in my heart that God can't forgive me for. There's nothing that you have in your life that you've done that God cannot forgive you for. Now, I can continue, but I I asked a young man to come up and share with with you his experience with failure and, and forgiveness. I've known Eric Cox since he was in junior high. And I've spent the last nine years visiting him and in, in prison and investing in his life. And I want him to come and share his testimony with you. Can you hear me? Okay. I want to actually start out uh, first before talking to you. Just with prayer. Um, I need God. I've spoken to maybe maximum capacity, 90, 100 people. But this is a lot more than that. Um, So if you would, just bow your heads with me, and I'm going to ask for God's help. (sighs) Dear Heavenly Father, God, it's just an honor and it's a privilege to just be here with you this morning. I thank you and acknowledge that your presence is with me and that you and your heart is for me. God, I thank you for everyone that you've brought here this morning. We know it's not by coincidence that these people are here and that they're about to listen to your story, your story of second chances that's been extended to to my life, God. God, uh, the concept of second chances is not something that Jeff uh, invented or brought up by his own ingenious. It's something that's written all over your Bible, all over your story. That's your heart, your heart is to reconcile, to restore, to redeem, to buy back. And God, I just pray as I expound and share from my heart this morning how my little story, so little, how it intersects with your big story, the story of your your redeeming love. I pray that you would give me clarity. I pray that you would, just as I speak from my heart, open the hearts of the audience here today. Holy Spirit, My dependence upon you is absolute. I need you. I pray that not one word from my mouth would drop to the floor. Your word says that your word would not return void, but it would be sent forth and to accomplish its purpose. I trust in you. I look to you. And I know that you'll never fail me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh... Second chances. The first time that a second chance came to me, that's kind of blurry. You guys are blurry. Anyway, was uh, September 2nd, 2002. 
Um, basically, a little bit of the background to paint the context. I was, uh, well, it was almost nine years ago, and I found myself in a cell, a, a cell, of, uh, a, a jail cell. It was uh, a police station. It was dirty. It was dingy. It was nasty. It was smelly. And I was broken. And um, basically what was happening, and I was waiting for my transporting officer, a sheriff, to come and to convey me to the Claremont County Jail where I would face an, an enormous indictment. An indictment if I was convicted of all the charges in that indictment and I was maxed out would be 90 plus years, the rest of my natural life, thrown away behind bars. But uh, over against and even more so than wanting to speak to you about my need for a second chance from the prison system, from the system of justice, which I respect and which we definitely need, because as fallen world, fallen people, we couldn't function together as a society. Um, I want to talk to you about my need for a second chance from God. Uh, for my background, Jeff has known me since junior high. Uh, I was under him when he was a youth pastor at Hope Evangelical in Mason. And um, make a long story short, I eventually did give my life to Christ. He had took me away from a bunch of drugs, a bunch of alcohol, and basically sinless, reckless living uh, in the world for some years. And definitely had saved my life. But the thing was... And some of you may already know this story. It's on grace-chapel.com under the blog letters from prison. I don't know if you have uh, that on your bulletin. But anyway, you can get the full story, letters 1 through 8 in there. But uh, basically, make a long story short, Christ had given me a second chance. I had received forgiveness, but I had so many issues still. I mean, yes, without a doubt, it is undeniable that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new. Okay, those sins and those stains and those mistakes... They're wiped out, but you still have all that baggage, all those issues, all those 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 sinful patterns of behavior that are etched in your soul, those strongholds in your life. And those need to be dealt with. Make a long story short. I didn't deal with that. Um, In addition to that, I had felt that God had called me into full time ministry, that I was to be a minister of the gospel, that that was to be my full time ministry. Uh, job and employment that I was to be, you know, uh, a preacher, a teacher of the good news. Uh, instead of answering that call like Jonah, unfortunately, eventually I ran the opposite direction and landed myself in a world of trouble, got into activity of drugs and things like that. So why I was in that pretty much jail cell was because I had made some stupid choices to start selling some weed, hanging out with the wrong people. I went to meet some people drug deal went bad, some people got hurt, there I am, facing an enormous indictment. So that takes me to the jail cell and what I was feeling. Obviously, like I said, I needed a second chance with the court system, but more than that was my need, my desperate spiritual need to have a second chance with God. Because as Jeff was saying, and what was common and what was so true in that holding cell, what was going on, my heart And inside, as I was sitting there, it was like, (laughs) call upon God now? I mean, what about a year ago when you were free and you weren't facing all this? It just seemed so hypocritical. And it seemed like God was a million miles away. That if I was to call upon God, there's no way that he's going to hear me. It's just ingenuine. It's circumstantial. 
Um, so that was the lie that enemy, the enemy was telling me. Uh, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where it says the God of this world actually blinds the hearts and the minds of unbelievers. And it keeps them from being able to see the light of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is basically this. Man has sinned. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is missing the mark. God's righteous standard is perfect character. We all have missed that mark. But God, instead of holding our sins against us, sent his son, placed our sins upon his person. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God made provision for our sins by sacrificing his own son. And you cannot earn your salvation. It is something that God paid for all himself through his, 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 the, the death of his own son. And that's grace. That's the gospel message. But in that holding cell, I just believed, kind of like Jeff was saying, that I had out the grace of God. And that's impossible. You cannot out the grace of God because every sin from Adam to the last man was placed upon the person of Jesus Christ whom God crucified. Any sin that I have ever committed or ever would commit was placed and already dealt with on the cross 2,000 years ago. That is the bold bottom line. So what Satan was doing was lying to me. And I was tempted to believe him. But by God's grace, I did make the decision to give my life to Christ and ask for him to forgive me in that holding cell. And I'd love to tell you something that... That something instantaneously, miraculously just happened, but it didn't. It didn't right then. But what God did do is he put me in a deep sleep, and I thank him for that. And when I had woke, my transporting officer was there. My sheriff goes through the whole thing, patting me down, putting me in shackles, yada, yada. Takes me to his vehicle, and then something happened. As soon as I stepped in the vehicle, two things that happened. One, my ears heard the familiar sound of 93.7 Christian radio. I think it's, their theme is the sound of God's love. Maybe I'm getting it mixed up. But anyway, I used to listen to that when I was walking with Christ. So instantly I knew that God was speaking to me and had sent this man. So uh, in unison to that, the Holy Spirit began to melt my heart, began to break down those walls and began to put me under the conviction of the Spirit and letting me know that he had heard my prayer. And in essence, he had actually come to me through this man. This man was a Christian officer. Uh, He was off and he was packing to go kayaking and uh, he had the car packed and he was about to shut the door and the phone rang and he knew that if he took the call that his trip was going to be canceled Um, but he knew that he needed to something inside him told him he needs to take that call so he listened to God he answers the call God sends him to me this man taking me to the county jail where I'm facing this enormous indictment and this enormous penalty for my sins began to minister to me and tell me how much Christ loves me. Tell me how only God is just one prayer away, one cry away, that you have not out God, that you have not gone to pass His grace, that His grace is greater than any sin and all sin in the world, that you cannot outdo God. And uh, he actually began personally testifying about some things where he had some issues and how God had you know brought him to the place that he's at. But anyway... What I'm saying is we have the tendency to say, okay, I've heard the prodigal story and it's a familiar tale and it's in the Bible and stuff. But does God really do that stuff? Without a doubt. I mean, he didn't run to me, but he drove to me. Without a doubt, that was God driving to me. I know that. And I know that because that was the beginning process of my transformation. 
As Jeff said, I've been in prison. I've been in prison for nine years. So God did not deliver me from the physical, natural consequences of my behavior. I had to pay a debt without a doubt. It needed to be done. But God used the prison system, the penal system, to help me grow. It was my wilderness experience. As Paul, you know, went to Arabia. Moses went to, you know, went into the wilderness or whatever. So that was the first and most important second chance that I had been given. The second one is on June 27, 2011. Yes, very shortly from now. I'm just shortly out of prison from doing a nine-year sentence. Christ had changed my life giving me the opportunity to work on my Bachelor's of Science in Biblical Studies through Moody Bible Institute Distance Learning Center. Um, I have about a year left. Jeff has, behind the scenes, been pouring into my life, coming faithfully, monthly, pouring into me, not giving up on me. There's one scripture I want to use. It's in uh, Galatians 6. It's meant the world to me. It says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I thank God that I didn't give up. I thank God that God didn't give up. And I thank God that Jeff didn't give up. I want to use one little illustration. Hopefully I can remember it. God brought it back to my remembrance. It's the story of little Annie. Little Annie was in an insane asylum. She was in a cell like I was in a cell. She was unfunctionable. So the staff member at the insane asylum pretty much put her in the basement, left her to be, thought she was hopeless. Yet one Christian lady thought otherwise. She knew that Annie was created in the image of God, had worth and value, and therefore started investing and pouring and trying to reach out to little Annie. Little Annie for months, was irres- she, she wasn't responding. Uh, but she just kept faithfully praying, faithfully using her lunch hours, going there. And... Um, Eventually, uh, a few of the little pastries that she made would, would come up missing and whatnot. So she was encouraged, and, and she just kept doing it. And over time, she convinced the other staff, that, you know, let's not give up on her. I'm, I'm making a connection here. There's progress. So convince them to uh, take her back up. And, and within a year or two, she's leaving the asylum, and she's a changed person. Now, let's fast, pay, uh, fast track that. Uh, Helen Keller... And I'm calling this if I remember right now because I did not, you know, rehearse this or whatever. But anyway, uh, Helen Keller was given like some noble kind of prize or whatever by the queen of maybe England. I, I don't know, some queen. But anyway, um, and you know Helen Keller. Well, Helen Keller gets up and gives her speech and she says, I couldn't have done it without little Annie. Thank God for little Annie. See, thank God that God didn't give up on little Annie. And thank God that God had people of God that knew the power of a second chance, the power of restoration, the power of the gospel, forgiveness, God extending forgiveness to undeserving sinners, which is the gospel message. Thank God for Jeff that he didn't give up on me as I was ostracized and outcasted from society, living in exile for nine years. He didn't give up and God didn't give up. And that's why I'm here. And I plead with you. Whatever your situation is, you may have grown up in the Christian faith, you went to college, and now you're living, you know, a shallow, half-hearted life or whatever. You're not living what God wants you to. You're not answering the call of the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations. You're, you're, you're not in the swing of things of, of what God is doing, desires to do in your life. You're not giving them your all. And there's that tendency, there's that lie to think that you've outsinned or that you're a disappointment and that God just, you know what I mean, you're a waste, you're, you're a waste and that's a lie. That is an absolute lie. Our God is a God of second, third, fourth chances, just like he said. And he can do amazing things in and through your life. And not only that, through the lives of many people who you probably think are they're outside. You know what I mean? No way. No way could God get a hold of that person. 
Absolutely he can. Look at Paul. Look at Moses. Look at David. Look at Gideon. Look at all of them. Look at me. My life went from being about self-glory and drugs and making money and, and, and just living you know, a, a licentious life. Uh, I, was, uh, I was a mess. And now I'm a student at Moody Bible Institute studying theology. My heart is a part of a pastor. I desire to share the gospel message and outreach to those who need the gospel message and get that message out there and to serve, to serve my fellow man and to live for God's glory. My favorite theme scripture is I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying solely to the gospel of God's grace. Paul was radically transformed on the Damascus Road by the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, appeared to him and radically altered his life. And that's what he's done to me. And that's why I stand here and testify before you today. Listen, there is no life worth living other than a life living for Christ. Join with him. Make the decision to join his team, to be a team member of the body of Christ and what he is doing reconciling sinful man. Corinthians, another one of my favorite scriptures, it says that we are God's ambassadors as if God is making His appeal through us. Because through His Son, Christ, He reconciled the world, which is lost and dead in sin, unto Himself. And He's making His appeal through you, through me, through all of us. Let's join the cause. Let's join Christ. And we can change this world. With that, I'll pass. back on here as you can see our god is a god of second chances every single one of us who know christ have a story of redemption and forgiveness you know some more a little colorful than others in a sense but you know not unforgivable no matter what we've done it's 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 forgivable which is a great, great, it's a great thing about being a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, it's like do over, do over, do over, do over, do over. I, I don't know about you. I love it because like I said before, I've dropped a lot of light bulbs in my day. You know, you're not too far gone this morning. I want to say that again. You are not too far gone. The last chapter of your book has not yet been written. And I'll tell you something else. You are not alone. You are not alone. I want you to bow your heads with me. Some of you need to let go of some things this morning. Before you can move on and really do what God's called you to do, you need to let some things go. Something's been weighing on your heart, and you need prayer. You need a time where you can say, yes, this was the time I, I, I let this go. You need to reconnect. Some of you need to reconnect with God. You're a believer. God loves you. But Satan's been lying to you, like Eric said, and you need to reconnect with God. You need to regain your freedom. You've been living in bondage to lies, not living out your purpose, but living out those lies. And you need to, you need to start living and regain your freedom. We want you to know here at Grace Chapel that you are not alone, and we want to pray for you. 
And, and honestly, what you need prayer for this morning may have nothing to do with what we're talking about here. I, I, it's, it's okay. If you need prayer this morning for whatever is hurting, whatever is holding you back from being the person that God created you to be, I would like you to come up this morning and just, you can kneel on the steps. You can kneel in, here in front, of the, in front of the podium here, in front of the altar, and just receive some prayer. We have people who will come pray with you. So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes this morning to come up. We have time. And if you just need prayer, I want you to, I want you to come forward. I'm going to pray silently as people do that. And if you're a prayer partner, if you would just come up and, and be prepared to, to receive those who, who may want prayer. I want the Holy Spirit to lead here. For what, if, if, someone, if something's happening in your life, someone else needs prayer in your life, it's just burdening you, just we'll take the time. Next few minutes, we, we saved for you to come up and pray. I'll remain silent for a moment as you come up. God, I just pray very quickly that fear would not stop anyone from getting up out of their seat. Overcome fear, Lord God, in people's hearts. Allow us to minister to one another. Bind Satan from our thoughts, from influence. As people are coming up and receiving prayer, why don't, you, why don't we as a body just silently pray for each other? You know there, there are people hurting in the body, physically, emotionally, spiritually, struggles, financial struggles, physical struggles, emotional struggles. Let's just pray for each other.
God, we know there are still broken hearts here in this room. It's impossible for there to be this many people and to not have people who are carrying burdens. And I just pray, dear God, that in some way, either this morning, as we still have time and we have people who are willing to pray, either this morning, Lord, sometime soon, that they would let go of those burdens. They would have the the openness, the courage, the brokenness, whatever it is, Lord God, to to just come and share with someone what's happening in their lives. Lord, we want to love each other. We want to pray together. We want to encourage each other and support each other like you've called us to do. If there's anyone else, we have time. If you would, why don't you stand and let's make a chain across. Let's hold hands here. Pull across the aisle. Make a, you know, find someone next to you. Hold that hand as we close out this morning. Continue to pray up front. We're in no rush here. Lord God, as our hands bind us to one another in love, in unity, we are your body. We are one in you. Father, we pray as we hold the person's hand next to us. We know that they struggle with different things in their lives at different times, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would meet every need, the spoken and unspoken, that you would touch hearts and lives, that you'd remind us, Lord God, that we are your children. And therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. We are your people. Father, I pray that you would crush the lies that have been told to people. That you would heal the wounds that have been inflicted by other people. That you would set us free individually, Lord God, and as a body, set us free from the burdens that we carry. We need to get right with you so that we can do all that you've called us to do and be all that you've called us to be. Lord God, from this day forward, may we leave behind the past. May this day, may this Sunday be a day that we can look back to and say, I left it there. I left it at the cross. Restore, renew, refresh. Give us freedom in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a beautiful day. Now I'm found.